Um, if you've got your Bible, um, why don't you turn with me? Uh, we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 will appear on the screen, but as always, I'm stood in front of it. Um, so Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is Paul writing to the Ephesians church. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That is, the by, by nature, we were uh, kindling the wrath of God, his, his righteous anger, like the rest of mankind. If you've got your paper Bible in front of you, here, is a, here are two words to underline. But God. Amen. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up and, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not a work, this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship. So it's not our works, it, it's his work. We are his workmanship, workmanship created in Christ Jesus for, the, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Lord Jesus, I pray as we look at these, these passages together, that you would open our eyes to see these wonderful things. Even as we were speaking last week about how you open... Uh, our eyes and our hearts when we come to your word. I pray that that very thing would be happening uh, this afternoon as we gather to look at this, this wonderful, wonderful thing that we call grace. So Lord Jesus, we come to you now um, with anticipation and excitement of what you're going to be doing in our hearts, uh, even as we turn our, our gaze to you again. Amen. Amen. So over these uh, weeks, we've been looking at our, our values as regions beyond uh, these 11 values that are outlined in, in this booklet. If you've not got one, you can grab one at the back there. Uh, and it just gives a little bit of information about who we are as a family of churches uh, across the nations. Uh, Jubilee, some of you will know part of that uh, same family of churches. We've been uh, with them over this, over this month doing our shared month of prayer and so we've, over these weeks, uh, we have been going through these, these values. And as I've said before, when we've, when we've introduced this series, this isn't, these values aren't so much a, a kind of a complete and comprehensive, uh, this is everything we believe as a church, this isn't our statement of faith, although I know that having something like that can be helpful. Uh, rather, we kind of, the way we frame these is, is much more a, this is what we hope you will see when you come amongst us. This is what you, when you spend any time with us as Freedom Church or any time with us as Regions Beyond, you would see that we, that we value these things and that we embody these things. And so as we come through this series, 
that's what I, I'm, I'm hoping that no, one, no one's surprised. I've said this before. I hope no one's surprised by anything that we say up front in this series. Because if anybody's surprised, then maybe we're not valuing it as we should. And if we're not valuing it as we should, then I hope that we are able to correct ourselves and say, actually, yes, together, we're going to pursue these, these things. And that really is how values, teaching, and beliefs are, are seen, isn't it? In the early church, actually, this is how... Uh, Paul talks about his values and his beliefs. He's able to, uh, when he's talking about what he believes and the doctrine that he's received, the, the, the truth of the word of God, he doesn't come to people and say, just here's a list of facts that I want you to sign your name to and say, yes, I agree with all of this. He says, you know how I was when I was with you. You know how I was when I was with you, when I was in your home, when I ate with you, when we talked together. You know the values that I exhibited and just were, were running through my veins, the things that I valued, the things that I love. And so he doesn't just send a document, although he sends letters, that, like the one we've just read, um, that outline these great truths. He also sends, he's able to say of it himself, I, you know how I was when I was with you. And he sends um, family members. He sends Timothy and Titus. Uh, men who have worked alongside him, uh, uh, others uh, who, to other churches, Phoebe, who goes to Rome with his letter, these, these people who have just, who've lived with him and who have caught these values and believed these values. And, and so he says, look, if you want to know what I believe, here's Phoebe, here's Timothy, and you will get an idea of what we're saying. And so, I, as we've said before, I hope that that would be true of any one of us as we spend time in these things and, and begin to embody these things, that anybody coming in would, would meet with, with any one of us and realise, ah, these guys value this. And so over the last two weeks, we've, we've, been, we've been doing this, we've introduced this, and we, we started with uh, what it meant, that first value of holding Scripture to be our first and final authority in all things. And we looked at that in two different ways. We looked at the authority of Scripture, and then we looked at... What, what does that mean, it being the Word of God, and how does that shape how we approach it? What, do our, what are our expectations when we come to the Word of God and how it, it challenges us? And now this week, I want us to move on to our second value in the booklet, which is saved and motivated by grace. And it's expanded in this way. It says this, saved and motivated by grace. Grace, the gift of undeserved favour from God through his Son, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. We are saved by grace, sustained by grace, and will be glorified because of grace. This truth gives us great cause for rejoicing and impacts our relationships with one another and the world. I love that. So we are saved and motivated by grace. And this is really the heart of the gospel. It comes through all our worship, this, this afternoon particularly, but in all our worship there, the, the one thread that, that holds all things together is the grace and love of God. It is the centre of the Christian faith and the basis of which we teach anything or do anything here as a church. And so it's important that we keep it central, that it doesn't become a sideline thing or just a, you know, the... the the sort of elementary thing, like you, you get it and then we move on from it. No, this, we've got to keep it central and it's important that we understand what it, we mean when we're talking about grace. And this passage that we've read outlines it so beautifully, quite vividly. And Paul starts by talking 
very clearly about our need. And that really is where we all start, isn't it? We start and we recognise we need to be rescued. We need to be saved. And if we haven't understood that, then grace means nothing. There's a sort of, there's a sort of a cheap view of grace that just sort of doesn't, doesn't tr- tries not to teach us about our need, tries not to teach us that we're, that we're sinners and we need rescuing. Just that God is nice and he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. But no, Paul is is very keen to make sure that the Ephesians, the guys he's writing to, understand our desperate need for God's grace. His his love uh, that that comes beyond anything that we can offer him. Paul says this, you were dead in sin. He outlines it in three different ways. Dead, you were dead in your sin. Right? Dead. Totally powerless. As much as a dead body could do to make themselves live again, it was as much as you could do to make yourself holy in God's eyes. You were dead in your sin. Messed up and unable, powerless to do anything. You were walking, he says. uh, Walking, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. We were walking under the power of the enemy who was dictating to us, do this, do that. And all of our disobedience in death was, was a bondage to another power. So Paul says this, you're, you were dead and you were slaves. You were dead and you were slaves. You thought you could do whatever you wanted. That's how some people outside the church talk about the church. Hey, you guys just follow rules. You follow rules. They don't realise that, that actually... What they are in is they are, their whole will is enslaved. They can do what they want, sure, but they can't want what they want. Right? They, they are, what they want is enslaved to the enemy. And they want what isn't good for them. And Paul is saying you were dead, you were powerless to do anything, you were enslaved, you, couldn't, you, were, you were in bondage to these things. Some of us know what that means. Some of us have been in addictions. You are slaves, unable to do what you wanted, even though sometimes we felt that we were. And he says this, and finally, you were by nature children of wrath. Who you were, not just, it wasn't because of your actions, right? It's, you, you, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner, right? Out of who you were, out of the very depth of who you were, at the, the core of your heart, there's no bright shining star there was just ugliness and depth of, of deceit and, and even your best actions came with murky motives. That's what Paul says of us. That's what the Bible says of the, uh, those of us who, who uh, you know, went, before we turned to Christ, that's where we were. And anybody outside of Christ, that's where they are. And as I say, that we're in danger sometimes, the church has been in danger sometimes of talking about the gospel, talking about Jesus as though he was an optional extra without giving an understanding of the desperate need. So when we hold out the gospel and we say, Jesus died for you, we, we hold out the died for you and we say, he had to die for you because without him dying for you, you would be lost. You, you need to be saved. Like we had this conversation, uh, Jen and I, with, with some friends and uh, not, not saved and, and even that phrase, they, they heard that phrase, not saved, and they, they were offended by that. And why do, I don't need to be rescued. Well, actually, that's the heart of the gospel is, yes, we do. Yes, we do need to be rescued because, 
because we can't do anything for ourselves. We need to be rescued. Randy Alcorn, uh, who writes for Desiring God, which is a, a website, um, uh, an online ministry, he says this. If we don't come to grips with the hideous reality of our own sin, God's grace will never seem amazing. We sing amazing grace because we understand I am desperately needy. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Right? It's amazing grace, it sounds sweet because it has been acting to save me in my wretchedness. And it's offensive. Hey, wait, I know this is offensive. The first thing the gospel do, does is it offends. And then it, res- and then it rescues. Right? It offends, it's offensive. But none of us, I think, need much convincing to realise that actually we're not, we're not inherently good. Um, social media at the moment is, is, is rampant. But if you imagine for a moment that every thought of yours, every secret action, those things that you do when, when no one's around, those things that, that have, have crept into your life or taken hold of your heart, those thoughts that have been played with, if all of that was broadcast onto social media, oh, the kind of the, the, the pain and the, the wretchedness that you'd feel in that moment as people go, oh, they would know that I thought that about them. they know that I'd said that. They would, they would know that I, I did that. We realise that we fall short of our own standards. How much more do we fall short of God's? How much more do we fall short of God's? So we are dead. We are enslaved and we are by nature at the depth of our heart just wretched but God but God but God being rich in mercy but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our sins made us alive Romans 5 which um, Mike uh, quoted earlier as Paul's writing says this but God again but God demonstrates his love his own love for us in this while we were sinners God died for us someone might be willing to die for a friend or someone who or, or someone might be willing to give something up for someone who might give something back for them in return God seeing that there was no way that we would ever be able to repay him Seeing that there was no, that we, that we actually, we were enemies of God. We hated him, but in our hearts. At that point, God looked at us, saw us in our unworthiness and said, I'm going to die for you to bring you back. Not because we're worthy. Not because we're worthy. Not because we were valuable. Not because of anything that was in us, but because of his immeasurable love towards us. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to search out for a reason. Why, why would you die for this person? And well, you're looking in the wrong place. If you're looking at them, you're looking in the wrong place. You're meant to look at me. I would die for this person because I am loved, says God. The reason I would die for this person isn't because of something hidden in them that I'm going to go, aha, here it is. It's because of me. The gospel says far more about God than it does about us. The thing it says about us isn't very nice. Until we've received the gospel and then it says some wonderful things. But I tell you, the, the gospel says so much about God, who God is and about his incredible love. 
He loves us. He loves the world. As we go, as we go through the world, as we, as we interact with people, who some of them are nice to us, some of them are not. God loves those people enough to have died for them. Do you understand? Not because of anything that's in them. Not because there is anything that, that would go, okay, I really hope he gets saved because he's quite a nice person. I really hope that God meets with them. I don't know. God, the, the, the song, you know, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon received, that, that wonderful life. Hey, we are, we are ourselves are, are, are blessed in that. And so when we interact with the world, we, we recognize that that is, that is true. But God... We've become, when, we, when, when Jesus has done this for us, when we engage with Jesus in this way, we're told we become a new creation. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is Paul's favourite language, by the way, talking about a Christian there, you, you are in Christ, you are, you are in him. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. Uh, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What you were has died. That object of wrath, that child of wrath, that, that slave to, in bondage to the power of sin and death, that, um, uh, the, 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 what was the other one? <laughs> the, 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 the dead to sin, that person has died, has been destroyed, has been dealt with. They've got their just desserts in Christ. And they have been raised to life, a new creation, totally new. If, you, if you've crossed that line of faith, if you've put your faith in Jesus, all of those things that, would, that, would pr- that the enemy would come at you and prick you with guilt and say, remember you did that? Remember you said that to that person? That person is dead. You say, yes, I do. And that person's been dealt with, don't worry. <laughs> but I'm a new creation. I'm in Christ. I am in Christ. We're, there's this wonderful transformation, and it's paralleled here, uh, Paul, as he's writing to the, the Ephesians. You know, he said, you were, you were dead in the trespasses and sins, he says, but you've been made alive in Christ. You were, you were in bondage to the power of the enemy. You were a slave to the, to the enemy. Now you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. What an amazing thing to say. You are seated with Christ. There is Christ in all, over all creation, he says to, to his disciples, all authority has been given in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And, and now Paul says, you are seated with Christ. You are seated with him. Some of us, we might imagine kind of, you know, the throne room of, of God. And, you know, and if we were there, maybe we'd be in the shadows somewhere or, or kind of on our faces, just like, oh God, what am, I, what am I doing here? Paul says, you're not, you're not in the shadows, you're not in the corner. Checking, checking to make sure that your ticket really does say what it, you've got the entry, you're allowed in. You are sat on the throne with Christ. You are in Christ. You reign with him over all things. Uh, Paul, as he's writing to the Romans, he says, those of us who, who are in Christ reign in life. We reign in life. Do you feel like you're reigning in life? Or do you feel like you're doing this every, you know, every week? Up, down, up, down. And I had a good day today. I didn't have a good day yesterday. And, oh, gosh, I can't believe I did that again. No, those of us who are in Christ reign in life. And we're not children of wrath anymore, he says, but we are intended for blessing, to be blessed with every 
blessing. We're not children of wrath, stir, kindling up the anger of God. But we are, God looks at us and sees people he wants to bless and rush to. That status that Jesus had, that has before the Father, we now have. Right? Jesus is, um, again, uh, Romans 5, which uh, Mike quoted to us, talks, talking about the whole thing there is, is Paul is talking about uh, Adam and Jesus. He says, you know, in, in Adam, Adam sinned. He, he disobeyed God. And, and through Adam, everybody who came out of Adam was in bondage to sin. But now Jesus Christ, who, who has been obedient, who has fulfilled the law, who has accomplished all things, those of us who are in him reign with him. And out of him comes life and obedience. And so if you are in Adam, you're in death. If you're in Jesus, you're in life. And you're in obedience and righteousness. Jesus says, as he's, we, last week we were looking at... Um, uh, John 15, as, he's talk, as Jesus is talking to his disciples about his, uh, the word of God, he talks about his love there as well. He says, you know, I say all this to you that, that God would love you just as he loves me. Right? Not kind of like, I was, I was listening to Tim Keller on this um, just in the week gone. They, he was, and he says, he goes, it's just as, not kind of like. Right? Just as. So God looks at Jesus with perfect love. Here is somebody who has, who has been wonderfully obedient. He is pure. He is spotless. He is clean. Jesus says, just as, just as, that's in that same love, you now walk. God loves you. Right? He looks at you and he sees clean. He looks at you and he doesn't see your guilt. He doesn't see the mistakes of this week. He doesn't see where you messed up. He's not there watching you going, I hope she does better this week. Now he looks at you and he says, I see in you the perfection of Jesus. Paul talks about, or rather, sorry, Luther, Luther, the, the, the great reformer, he talks about, when looking at Paul, he talks about a foreign righteousness, an invading righteousness. You, you can't achieve a righteousness for yourself. You can't. You can't keep all the rules. But Jesus did. Jesus kept all the rules. In fact, at one point, He's able to say to his enemies, do you find fault in me? Very boldly. Come on, bring out the laws, measure, them, measure me against them. Do you find fault in me? None of us would dare to say that because very quickly we, our faults would come to the surface. Jesus is very happy to say, I have fulfilled the law. Every criteria I have met. I have met every requirement of God, every moral requirement, every... Uh, religious requirement I have met everyone else has failed we've all fallen short of the glory of God but Jesus has kept it and Jesus says now if you've received me if you receive me you enter into me and you uh, become uh, like me and God will look at you and see the perfection of Christ now that is what grace does okay grace is not just the entry ticket. It's not just how you get in. It is the, the motivation for everything. It is the empowerment and motivation for everything. And so that's why I love the way we've, we've worded our, our value here as being saved and motivated by faith, right? by grace. You are saved 
And you are motivated. All your life now is, is fueled and built on this one thing. The grace of God. See, so many Christians have this idea that they kind of, you know, I, I, I come in through the cross and then I, it's up to me to sort of to live well, to be a good Christian. And I've not been a good Christian this week. But I, have, I was, I think I was quite a good Christian this weekend. I read my Bible. You know, Joshua was talking about reading your Bible last week and, and since then I've read my Bible. And I've not read my Bible. I've been a bad Christian. And so many, so many Christians have this idea. But actually, if, if, you, if, if we are not motivated by grace... If anything else motivates us in our, in our Christian walk, other than the love of God, then it's not faith. If you're motivated by, I need to be a good Christian, there's no faith in that. And God won't reward it. If you're, if you're motivated by, I need to be seen to be a good Christian, or I need to jump through these hoops, or whatever it might be, there's no faith in it. Do you see what the grace of God does when we receive it, when we understand what God has done for us? Suddenly, I'm not trying to work hard to earn God's favour. I'm in God's favour already. He, he's already looked at me and said, there he is, in my favour. I'm not trying to get God's approval. I'm not working hard to get God's approval. When I'm reading my Bible, I'm not doing it to get God's approval. When I'm praying, I'm not doing it to get God's approval. When I'm sharing the gospel, I'm not doing it to get God's approval. When I'm do, trying to do right living and live a holy life. I'm not doing it to get God's approval because I'm already approved. I've been approved. God has looked at me and said, approved. Stamp. Done. It is a done deal. As I say, some Christians hear the gospel, believe it, and then run off to go to, I need to be a good Christian. I need to do these things. And suddenly you're not free anymore. (laughs) You're not reigning in life. You're enslaved to something else. You're enslaved to legalism. You're enslaved to, to be a good Christian, I need to read my Bible every day. To be a good Christian, I need to, whatever it might be. I heard someone say, and it's a phrase I've heard a few times, you do not, we do not graduate from grace. You do not graduate from grace. It is the basis of everything. We can so quickly fall into the trap of thinking that we've been saved from God's punishment by grace but now it's up to me to somehow pay God back or somehow earn his love or prove myself worthy. We can so quickly believe that and so quickly fall into that trap. For that phrase, um, fallen from grace, is, is, you know, it's a biblical phrase. It's, it's there in the Bible. And sometimes we can, we can hear it and people use it to mean, oh, they've fallen out of favour or they've, uh, they've backslidden or they're, they're kind of their relation, you know, they're no longer coming to church or whatever it might be, they've fallen from grace. As I say, it is a biblical phrase, but when it's used, it's not used to talk about somebody failing to hit the mark. It's used of somebody who is trying to hit the mark in their own strength. So the person who's fallen from grace is the person who's trying to do things to impress God. The person who's fallen from grace isn't the person who's kind of not going to church anymore. Or not doing, not right living, or going out when they shouldn't be going out, or doing this or doing that. The person who's fallen from grace is the religious person who is trying to impress God by their actions, because there's no faith in that. You've stopped believing, because faith is a gift. As soon as you pull out your wallet to pay for a gift that someone's given you, you dishonour that gift, and you're not receiving it as a gift. God will not give his give his grace except as a gift. He will not take money from you. In fact, the Bible says 
the, our very best actions, our righteousness, the best that we can conjure up is like filthy rags. It's like filthy rags. Literally, the translation there is soiled cloths. Look at what I've done. Here you are, God. Look what I've done. Ugh. <laughs> Heaven recoils. Like, oh, there's, oh, thank you. <laughs> Straight into the bin. No, that's the best that you can offer. God says, I'm giving you this for free. I'm giving this for free. Don't try to earn it. Sometimes we can try and put our identity in what we do. As I say, you know that whole thing of, oh, I've been, I've been a bad Christian. You know, heaven comes back and says, what do you mean a bad Christian? What do you mean? You're a Christian. You're in Christ. You are in Christ. There's no such thing as a bad Christian. Because a Christian is in Christ. And a, and a Christian who is in Christ receives all the blessing, all the love, and all the righteousness that Christ has. All the things that Christ has earned for himself are yours if you're in him. Paul, as he's writing to the Galatians, which is when he uses that phrase, fallen from grace, he, he's writing to them. And, and the Galatian church, they've, you know, he's, he's gone, he's planted a church, he's done the apostolic work of laying a foundation, calling people to Christ. People are saved wonderfully. And he teaches them the gospel. He moves on and then this group of people come in. They're, they're called the Judaizers. And they are, uh, they are Jewish people, probably uh, Christians. Um, and, they, and they kind of have this idea that, as we talk about, you, know, you, you, kind of, you get through the door on grace. But then there's rules you have to follow. And so they start saying, oh, you know, it's wonderful that you know, our, our Bible tells us that you know, our Messiah would come for the Gentiles. That's great. I'm so glad that, you're, that you've, you've received our Messiah. But uh, just so you know, you need to, you need to be circumcised now and, and you need to avoid these foods and you need to um, have these feast days and then you need to, to do this and you need to wash and you can't wear that anymore and you need to just trim your beard this way. And Paul comes in to the, and the Galatian church fall for it and he comes, it's the, his angriest letter. Who has bewitched you, O foolish Galatians, that you would turn away from the love of God to try and earn it for yourself? Who are you? And we so quickly fall for that same thing, right? We, you know, and we can put it on new Christians. Oh, it's great that you've been saved. But now just make sure that you're reading this devotion every day. Or make sure that you, you can't wear that anymore. Or do this or do that. Or make sure you stand up and sit down at the right time when you're in the meeting. And suddenly we've put them in the same place that the Judaizers put the Galatians. And suddenly we can do that to our own selves. Our own hearts, we do that. We, we try to... Uh, earn God's love and our eyes stopped being on God and what he's done for me and suddenly they're on me and I realise actually I'm not good enough I'm not good enough, God must be looking at me and going I can't believe he's messed up again I cannot believe he's messed up again, how many chances have I given him now we preached through the letter uh, we preached through the letter to the Galatians um, when we were in Croydon and uh, uh, I tell you when, there are times when Someone will say something in such a way that you just think, oh, I, I couldn't have written that for you. Somebody got up um, after one of the sermons and she just said this in tears. And it was, it was a moment and I thought, I can imagine the Galatian church after receiving their le- the letter from Paul. Must have had, there must have been moments like that in that church. And she just sort of, she said, all my life I have thought that God has tolerated me. All my life I thought God just tolerated me. She goes, but now I know he loves me. He 
loves me. It's that moment, it's that freedom as she understood, this lady understood the grace of God, the gift that's been given. And it's easy to begin to think that way, that God just tolerates us if we, if I say, as I say, if we just begin to look at our actions in the way that, as a way of we get God's approval. Yes, you've been allowed in because of my blood, but now you've got to make sure you begin to think that God's just, just putting up with us. Man, if I knew that she was going to turn out that way, I might have kept my son back to myself. No, God knows. He knows your mess. He knows your mess. Paul says to the Galatians, as he's really going at them and he's really going at this thing, if works could earn God's approval, this is my paraphrase, if works, if there was ever a law that could earn God's approval, like reading your Bible every day, like going to church, like sharing the gospel, if works could earn God's approval, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Your works cannot earn God's approval. No matter how often you read your Bible, no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you do, you cannot earn God's approval. And, about, and no matter what you do on the other side, you cannot lose it if you're in Christ. You cannot lose God's approval if you're in Christ. These laws were always just meant to lead you to Jesus. They were always just meant to lead you to Jesus. And when we understand what grace is, when we understand you know, what our relationship with God is now because of what Jesus has done, we are set free from vain work, what the Bible calls dead works, trying to please God with our own actions and we are released into freedom we are transformed the more this discovery we, the more we, we recognise this and discover this the more it becomes the basis of everything we do because suddenly I'm not trying to cover myself up by reading my bible enough or doing this enough I'm not trying to please God and God is pleased with me not because of me, but because of Jesus. When you get that, you are free to enjoy reading your Bible. <laughs> and you are free to enjoy doing the things that God has called you to do. Um, I'd, I've come across this, this uh, challenge to Christianity a couple of times. Maybe you've heard it. Someone would say, you know, if, if, if the fear of hell is just what is the only thing that's making you good, do good things, then you're not really a good person. If, that's, if you need the punishment of hell to make you a good person, then you're not a good person. And we say, the, response to that, the Christian response to that should be, well, that's, but that, you've got it completely backwards. You've got it completely backwards. It misses the point entirely. We're not good people. We aren't good people. We can't make ourselves good. And we can't avoid hell by our good actions any more than we could put out a raging fire by trying to blow on it. Right? Here's a bonfire. Let me put it out. You can't do it. If anything, you're going to aggravate the fire. And that's what our, our attempt to please God on our own does. It just aggravates the fire because, as I say, at the best that we can offer is just these soiled rags. It is completely the other way around. We are saved. We are rescued. We are totally put at peace with God. And then from there, we live because we've been made right. From there, we live righteously because we've been made right. When we dig into a little bit more the kind of the, what the motivation of grace really is, we realise, because again, that could be turned so quickly to be, oh, God's, God's done something nice for me and I need to try and pay it off. I'm motivated by grace that way. And some people will teach you that way and, and, and perhaps, you know, there is, there is some truth in there. Actually, I've seen the love of God and from that, I, I'm, just, I'm just excited to, to, to pass it on. 
And there's some truth to that. But actually grace, I mean that's only half the gospel, grace goes so much deeper than that. Because the grace of God doesn't just rescue you. As I say, it transforms you. As we dig more and more into what motivated by grace means, we realise it's not just motivation in terms of, it would be nice to do that for God. It would be nice to do that for people. But grace itself is at work in transforming you to make you like Christ. Paul says in the passage that we've read, you know, um, he says, you know, we are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship. Created, this is verse 10, created in Christ for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One of the great works of God's love in your life is he is transforming you. You, you are his workmanship. Right? You, are, you come as raw material or waste goods and are transformed to be something for holy purpose. As a story in the Old Testament of the, the Jews that come out of slavery and uh, Moses is told by God to go to the people and say, bring out your, bring, bring out your household goods and, and just give us a, uh, a faith offering, just whatever you, can, you want to give on faith. And some, so, you know, household goods like clay pots, goat skins, all of these things that they would have had, they all come and then they get transformed to become the house of God. They get remade into holy things, household goods. Some of them for good things, some of them for messy things, get completely repurposed and suddenly they are there standing in the Holy of Holies in the presence of God performing holy works. That's what happens to a Christian. You are remade. John Piper says this, Grace is not simply leniency when I have sinned. Grace is the enabling gift of God not to sin. You hear that? Grace isn't just leniency when I have sinned. Grace isn't just... Okay, I forgive you, I forgive you again, I forgive you again. Grace comes in underneath that and lifts you up and transforms you. It is power not to sin. He carries on, grace is power not just to pardon. Grace pardons you again and again and again and again. But grace also gives you power to live in the way that God calls you to live. Remember last week as we were talking about the Bible and how the Bible opens our eyes and we transform <coughs> as we see Christ and made more and more like him. That's grace at work. That's grace at work. Hey, once you were a slave to sin, as we said. Once you were a slave, you could not sin. Now, you can not sin. You are, have power to not sin. The Bible does make demands on us, of us. Right? The Bible does make demands of us. Which is why you know, Paul he has to go on to say, um, as the passage we read, you know, if, like, like after, after spending five chapters talking about the grace of God and how we are set free from having to try to please God, he then has to say, but does that mean, he has to answer the question, but does that mean that we can do anything we want and grace will? He says, no, because the grace of God is transforming you to make you, to make you more like Jesus. If you really receive this, he's going to be transforming you and working in you to make you more like Jesus. It, the Bible does put demands on us and it lays down challenges for us, but always on the basis of what Jesus has done. It is always on the basis of what Jesus has done. So when Paul comes and says, your marriage should look like this, or your, your relationships with one another should look like this, he's always pointing back to the cross, and he's pointing forwards to grace. He's always pointing to grace. It's always grace, and it's, always, it's not, never on your back. It's on God's work in you. Right? So there's a challenge, but it's always on God as well. This, this quote that some of you may have heard 
It's used a, a, a lot. God's children have been saved from the penalty of sin, are being saved from the power of sin, and will be saved from the presence of sin. Have been saved of the penalty of sin. You've been saved. You've been saved. That condemnation that was on you, dead man walking, you've been saved from that. You are being saved from the power of sin in your life that says, keep doing this. You're being saved from that. And you will be saved from the presence of sin. One day, one day, those things that keep coming back at you, they will not come back again. And you'll be totally rescued. And all of those things are grounded in the same place. The grace of God. So when we talk about anything that we're called to do, all the things that, as we go through this booklet, and we're going to see the other things that we, we value as, as a church, as a movement, those things that we want to, we want to do and be, be obedient to God in, in, in sharing the good news, in, in serving the poor, in, in loving one another faithfully, in, in raising up leaders, in all of those things, as we do those works, we want to be able to say with Paul, we worked hard, yet not I, but the grace of God at work in me. We worked hard, but not me. It was the grace of God that worked in me. So the basis of everything we do, the basis of everything we do, every other page after this one is built on the grace of God and his work in us. As I say, we are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship for the works that he has planned for us. The basis of every sermon, everything I'll get up here and say, is on the basis of God's work in us. Paul says this to the church and he says, you know, I have resolved, the Corinthians, he says, I resolved, I decided to know nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified. I've got, no, I've got no other bullet in my gun. This is the one thing I have. If I teach you anything, it was on the basis of that. And I want that to be true here. I never want us to fall into the trap of thinking these are moral lessons that we're getting. This is, this is grace. This is grace that we've received. Grace upon grace upon grace. And I just want to finish with, with this quote, um, which is sometimes attributed to John Bunyan, but I've read this morning that it's, it's not his. I don't know whose it is. <laughs> but it says this. It's just a kind of a summary of, of what we've been talking about. It says this. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives me neither legs nor hands. Greater news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that we are in you. That we, we don't have to earn your love or earn your favour, but you love us. We're in your favour and we are rescued from you. We are rescued from, from, the, 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 uh, from, from your uh, right, righteous anger towards us and into your wonderful love. I love, I, I love that, that, that sentiment of there is nowhere to hide from God except in God. <laughs> and so, Lord, we hide from you in you. Lord, we, we run to you and say, Lord, save us. Save us. And as we do that, Lord, we know that we, you transform us and you make us more and more like your son. Thank you that each of us, however dirty we might be made to feel by the enemy, the accuser, now can know freely and truly we are set free and we have been made righteous. Some of us need to hear that again. You have been set free. You don't need to do that anymore. But you have been made righteous. Not because you don't do it. Not because you do this good thing. 
but because of Jesus, you have been made righteous before God. Lord, we thank you. And I pray that you would continue to open our hearts, open our eyes to see these wonderful, wonderful truths. In your mighty name. Amen. Amen.